Howdy, howdy. Welcome. Glad you're here today. If you are uh, brand new to the Houston area, listen, our weather is like this all the time. That's why there are millions of people here. If you're wondering, it's the weather. It's all about the weather. So uh, last year, uh, my wife wanted to decorate the front of our house a little bit. So early October, she put out a, a pumpkin. You know, nice, kind of medium-sized pumpkin right in the front as you drive in the driveway. And so it was great. And by the way, don't panic. It was a pumpkin, not a jack-o'-lantern or anything like that. Don't want to do that. So it's fall. So pumpkins are part of fall. And so October it was there, and then of course Halloween rolls around pretty soon. Of course a pumpkin's appropriate for Halloween. And then Thanksgiving comes around, and of course Thanksgiving, I don't know about you, but we always have you know, pumpkin pie, so it's still appropriate to have the pumpkin. But after the turkey's been eaten and the dressing's been put away, um, it's December, and in December you need to start thinking about putting up the Christmas lights. It's kind of a different season, if you would. And, and you need to do something about the pumpkin. Well, Chrissy said to me, hey, will you take care of the pumpkin and you kind of get rid of it? And I was like, of course I will do that tomorrow. And so, because tomorrow is the best day to deal with any kind of pumpkin. And so tomorrow rolled around. I don't know what happens, December 3rd or so. And um, I, I forgot to deal with the pumpkin. And so, Holidays get going, there are parties or things, and, and you know, days turned into weeks and the pumpkin was still there. And every day I would drive out and there's the pumpkin and then I would come home from work and there's the pumpkin. And Christmas even rolled around and celebrated the Lord's birth and we had Christmas lights, but there was also a pumpkin there. And <laughs> you got closer to January 1st, 2021 and new year, new you and have my New Year's resolutions. Number one New Year's resolution, stop smoking. Number, <laughs> number two, by the way, back in the old days when I grew up in the Baptist church, all the deacons would smoke in between services. It was a whole nother deal. But anyway, number two, lose weight. And number three, deal with the pumpkin. <laughs> January 4th comes around, 5th, the pumpkin is still there. And every day as I would get home from work, this is kind of crazy, the pumpkin would get bigger. It just grew. It was, went from a medium size to large, to extra large. And come about, I don't know, January 27th, outside of my house was this 30 by 30 great pumpkin. The great pumpkin had come to visit me but I didn't deal with the pumpkin. Now, earlier this week, someone on our staff asked me, what's the title for your message? And I said, pumpkin. They called me up this morning, are you sure that's the title of your message? And I said, yes, it is pumpkin. Now, if you're wondering how pumpkin relates to what I'm gonna talk about, just hold on, we'll get there in a few seconds because we are talking about relationships. 
And for the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about barriers and breakthroughs. What are the four barriers that prevent us from experiencing healthy, God-honoring relationships? And what are the breakthroughs for those barriers? Does that make sense? So last week, we looked at the most important, I don't know if most important barrier, but it's the biggest barrier that all of us face, and that's the barrier of pride. Pride. We all take a ride with pride. We all jump in the car with pride. We go on an ego trip. We edge God out, and we don't do what we need to do. Now, the antidote or the breakthrough for pride is humility. That was last week. This week, we're going to look at the second biggest barrier, and we find it in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you brought a Bible, open to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter three. Genesis three tells us the ancient story of the very first relationship. This is the relationship with a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They had it made in the shade, man. Life was perfect. They had a perfect relationship perfect intimacy, perfect connection with God until it wasn't perfect anymore. They messed up. They blew it. They ate the forbidden fruit. And in comes the barriers. Check it out. Genesis 3, verses 8 following. Then the man, also known as Adam, and his wife, the artist known as Eve, heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And I would put in my translation, using guy logic, right? Men logic. Hey, let's hide over here and God won't see us behind the trees. Brilliant. But the Lord God called to the man, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, God knew the answer to all these questions. But like a good attorney, he's just pulling it out of old Adam. And look what Adam does. I mean, humanity's barely been on planet Earth. And look how Adam responds to God when God asks him, did you eat of that forbidden fruit? Adam said, of course I did. I own it. I ate it. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not what he said. He said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it this you have done? And the woman said, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm the one who ate the fruit first. No, that's not what it says. It says, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
Adam says, not my fault, Eve's fault. Eve says, not my fault, devil made me do it. The devil says, where is that cat, right? Someone else to blame. So what was happening to Adam and Eve and the devil? What was happening in this early experience there in the garden, in this relational world? Avoidance. They were avoiding taking responsibility for what happened. What was the guy doing passing up the pumpkin in front of his house every single day? Avoidance, avoiding the obvious. And avoidance is one of the major barriers in all relationships, whether you're talking about in a company, whether you're talking about in your friendships, whether you're talking about in a family, or you're talking about marriage. Pride's number one. Pride's Alabama, if you would. You know, number two, right on its heels, is avoidance. Avoidance. We avoid. We avoid dealing with the conflict. We avoid dealing with the financial issues. We avoid dealing with the intimacy issues. We avoid dealing with the accountability. We are masters of deception and deflection, and we all love to avoid. It's so old, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, back to our original dysfunctional family, Adam and Eve. Avoidance. Why do we avoid? Why do we avoid? Many times we avoid because we're afraid. I don't want to deal with the situation. I don't want to deal with my particular pumpkin, whatever it is. I don't want to avoid it. I'm afraid of what might happen. I'm afraid perhaps that I might be rejected. I'm afraid of the complications and the consequences that might occur. So fear is one of the reasons we avoid. Also to failure. Failure. I've tried that before, it doesn't work. We've been down this road. I'm not gonna do it. Failure. Imagine if all the baseball players, that was it, failure. They would never go to the plate, right? Because you fail so many times as a hitter in pro baseball. But it's a way we avoid, is failure. Guilt is another way we avoid. We feel so wrong and we feel so shameful and we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about the complexities and the emotion and everything around, whatever it is that's bothering us, whatever the pumpkin is that we're avoiding, if you would, and so we avoid it. We have great strategies of avoiding it. One of the ways we avoid it is we, we delay. I'm not gonna do this, but I could say, how many of you out there, you know, you delay and procrastinate, raise your hand. No, no, I'm not gonna raise your, no, I'm not gonna make you 
own that or the rest of us lie, but we delay, right? We procrastinate and we think, if I can just avoid the situation, avoid the conflict, avoid the problem, then it's gonna go away. Eventually, that pumpkin is gonna disintegrate, right? Eventually, time heals all wounds, right? Wrong. It doesn't. What if I have something wrong with me physically and I go to the doctor? I've really gotta to go to see the doctor. So I go and I just, and I go to the waiting room. I just sit in the waiting room, sit in the waiting room, day after day, week after week. I sit in the waiting room for a long, long time, but never go to the doctor to get well. So many times we procrastinate, we delay. That's one of our methods of dealing with or not dealing with the situation, the problem. Another one is that we deny. We deny, we deny that there even really is a problem. And it's interesting that over the years, psychology has given us many tools that allow us to deny instead of dealing with the situation. Now, let me say this as a disclaimer. I believe there are some many good, valuable things you can learn through personality inventory tests. I've taken almost every single one of them. I've paid to take these tests. They're a valuable tool for understanding yourself and understanding others. But what I found most of the time is that we'll use some type of personality inventory, whether they're talking about Myers-Briggs or the MMPI, the Milan, or what my kids brought on from college. Dad, you need to take the Enneagram. You're a two-wing four. Thank you. I'm also Gemini. So there are many things, there are many things you can learn about yourself and learn about others, but many times people use their personality bent, if you would, to justify their own selfishness and their own character defects. Okay? And we can't do that. And the people that designed these things didn't design them for us to use them as a weapon against others or to justify our own stuff. So, we deny. It's a way we avoid. Another way we avoid is that we deflect, right? We triangulate. That's what Adam was doing. God converts him with a problem. Let me bring in a third party, Eve, blame her. Let's triangulate the situation. Deflect the blame from me. Eve brings in the serpent, she triangulates. So we like to triangulate. We don't want to deal with the issue, deal with the problem. We want to avoid it. So we deflect and we blame. Instead of doing what we know we need to do. I like this quote by Michael Straczynski. He said this, he said, people find, excuse me, people spend too much time finding other people to blame. Too much energy finding excuses for not being what they're capable of being and not putting energy and not putting and not enough energy putting themselves on the line, growing out of the past and getting on with their lives. Avoidance is a big barrier. What is it? 
Or maybe who is it that you're avoiding? Now, many of you will probably wonder, well, what Genesis said in Genesis 3 is important and God's word's important, but tomorrow morning or after lunch today, you'll be asking a really big question. Whatever happened to that pumpkin in front of your house, right? If I don't tell you what happened to my pumpkin. Well, finally I came home one day, late January, I saw that pumpkin. I said to myself, I'm gonna do something about the pumpkin. I am, I'm gonna be proactive. So parked my car, got out, got that pumpkin, picked it up. Again, it's 30 by 30 now, it's grown, it's so huge. Because I ignored it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. It didn't really, but anyway, it felt that way. So. I picked the pumpkin up, I walked in my house. Our house is on the bayou, so there's a hill over the porch of my house, and I took that pumpkin, and I went, and I tossed the pumpkin over the porch on the hill, and it split perfectly in the middle, I kid you not, and just rolled down to the edge of the bayou. And at that moment, I had a Zen Buddhist moment, a moment of enlightenment and clarity. And here it is, if you're taking notes. Sometimes you have to toss the pumpkin. Sometimes you have to toss the pumpkin, right? You got to just deal with it. You have to take some semblance of action. So that is the antidote. That is the breakthrough to avoidance. It's action. Instead of being passive and ignoring it and deflecting and denying, we engage with whatever the situation whatever the problem, whatever the conflict is that we must take action on. It's action, action. Now, one of the most action-packed books in the entire Bible is the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. So if you're reading your Bible daily, and let's say you're bored, okay? You're somewhere else in the Bible and you're bored. Go to either the book of Mark or the book of Acts. Not boring books, a lot of action for those of you who really need action. Someone's thinking, are there boring books in the Bible? Listen, don't worry about that, it's a whole other message. Turn to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter number three, listen to this passage. So Peter was one of the first disciples of Jesus Christ. He was a rock, he was a leader, but he had blown it. He betrayed Christ, he ran and hid in shame, he avoided the obvious, uh, Christ confronted him, reinstated him. So Peter gets up, he's going to the temple someday, there's someone there who's lame, and boom, Peter heals this person, and people are looking at Peter like, hey, Peter, you're the man, let's worship Peter, so to speak. He goes, no, I didn't do that. 
I can't do that. It's only through the power of Christ and the power of his resurrection. So he preaches this ripping sermon, this incredible message on the resurrection, and then he gets to the end of it and says, here's what you need to do. Because the book of Acts stands for actions. It's the actions of the first followers of Christ. So what action does he call us to today as we look at this in the context of relationships and avoidance? Here's what Peter said at the end of this epic message. He said, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing. Say refreshing, refreshing. One more time, refreshing. That's a fun word to say. May come from the presence of the Lord. The word repentance literally means a change of mind and a change of action. So it's kind of a military term. You're marching this way in this direction. You repent and start marching and going the other way. So Peter's calling them, calling us today to change our direction, change our mind about what we've avoided and start taking action on what God calls us to take action upon. He said that it's by the grace of God that our sins, our mistakes, our avoidance, our denial, our blaming can be forgiven. And that as we go out and take action, that we will experience refreshing, refreshment, restoration from God. Love that. Change your mind, change your direction about what you've been avoiding. Take action. Do what God tells you to do. Take that step to experience refreshing from God. God calls us in our relational world to do difficult things. Life is a call upon you, a call upon me many times to do difficult things, to do the things you don't want to do, to show up when you don't feel like showing up, to deal with the issue and the conflict when you don't feel like dealing with the issue of the con or conflict. Those are the actions that we have to take. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, here's how you don't do that. When I was a little kid growing up, um, going to school, we used to play marbles. Marbles. All right, Old people who think they're young still, raise your hand if you played marbles when you were growing up in school. Yes, 
Some of you played marbles, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. Others of you are like, what the heck are marbles? So you would have your marbles, you'd take them with them to school, you'd have them in an athletic sock, and then at recess, okay, you would go out, you would draw a circle, put the marbles in the middle, put the marbles in the middle, okay, young people, and then you would take your own marble and try to hit the other person's marble out. And if you hit their marble out and they didn't hit your marble out, you would take their marble. I guess that was kind of gambling looking back on it, but every, <laughs> everybody played it, everybody played marbles. And so here's the way some people may leave this message today and go back into, I don't know, their company or go back into school with their friends or go back into their, their marriage and relationships and deal with the problems. They say, wow, I've been avoiding all these problems. I've been, we've been avoiding all these issues and avoiding all these things. And you just take all your marbles and, and just roll them out on the floor. And you're like, whoa, man, this is, just, just, this is a lot of marbles. Hey, well. There's a cat's eye, there's a crystal, there's a steely ball. I mean, and so you have all, and it's just overwhelming. Don't do the marble method. If you're convicted and your conscience tells you to stop avoiding something, instead, choose one thing. Choose one marble. I, I know, I know, I know there are other marbles. I know, I, I know there are other marbles. Choose one marble. Pray over that marble, pray over that issue and take that next step, whatever it is, to deal with it. And you go into that situation prayed up. You pray and do the difficult work. You pray and do the difficult work. You pray and do the tough work and wait on God and wait for that season of refreshing. God calls us to action, not to avoidance, but to engage, to seek healing, to seek restoration. Many times God gives us the, the space to do this. He gives us the space to deal with whatever that issue is we're avoiding. But listen, don't mistake the room God gives you to repent for permission to keep on sinning. God is a, a good God and he's a good father and he wants to protect us. So he speaks to us in church, he speaks to us in our conscience, he speaks to us as we're trying to go to sleep and he tells us you gotta stop avoiding this. You've got to take action, prayerful action to deal with it. Think about the old, the old commercial where the mechanic rolls himself out from under the car and says, this is a transmission of a Ford or whatever. To fix it, it's going to cost $500. Then he has in his other hand, and this is a Fram oil filter. It'll cost you about five bucks. You can pay me now five bucks or pay me later. Overhaul your transmission. A lot of things like that. Pay me now, pay me later. But God calls us 
to take action on what he's telling us to take action on today. When, and we look at the cross and we realize at the cross, Christ did not avoid the conflict. Christ did not avoid the pain. Christ took action. He took action to die, to suffer, and to rise again. That we might have victory, that we might have power to deal with the hurt and the pain in our own relational world. Jesus Christ meets us just where we are, right where we are, in the midst of our problems and conflicts and avoidance and strategies and all that. He meets us right where we are in order to take us all the way home, to bring us home. 